Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel, or no, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 24 through 31. In a sermon I have titled, Real Men. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 24. Uh, people say, where'd you come up with the title like, Real Men? Remember people used to say, Real Men do this, Real Men do that. I was visiting uh, a shut-in one day that been a member here for many years and uh, knew my dad and mom both and I watched both had passed away so this hasn't been that long ago but she was talking about dad she says you know your dad was a real man now what do we mean by that was a real man there were times I wished that he wasn't a real man I mean when he had that belt out I wish that he was not a real ma- a man, you know. I wish he was a mom instead, you know. When he had the belt out and swinging that belt, I wish that he was not a real man. Matter of fact, I think his belt had, where he hung it up, I think it had a little verse there that said, I need thee every hour. <laughs> it seemed like that's the way it happened, okay. So, hopefully, uh, things don't continue that way. Uh, and they won't, he's gone, but uh, there's other people standing in line. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning with verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely, to defy Israel, is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, now notice, who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and he will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him, and after this matter, saying, So shall be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliam's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom? Hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again <clears throat> after this former manner. And then the words were heard which David spake. They rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. Of course, this is the story of the David and Goliath. We're not going to cover that part today. But this is the fourth story. This is where David has been <clears throat> sent there with food uh, for the family, for his brothers there. He was actually sent by his dad, called out of the sheepfold, called out of tending sheep to come there and take this to them. And so he comes as he was uh, told, as he was instructed to do by his father. He gets there 
and finds out about this giant. To that point, you know, they didn't have the internet up to par like they do today. And uh, so they didn't know what was going on. They just went. And, and when they got up there, that's when they, he found out what was going on. So he started asking questions. And, but you need to understand, his brothers, his brothers were there when Samuel had come through and said, I need to anoint one. And he went through all seven brothers, and none of them really added up to what they thought should be there. And so finally Samuel says to, to David's father, Jesse, do you have any other kids? Well, there's one out in the sheepfold. He's, he's out there in the tending sheep. <clears throat> uh, I think the attitude is, I, I'm sure you don't want him. And Samuel says, we're not going to eat until he's here. That's the way you get to a man. Get him here right away, okay? And so they get him there right away. And he's the one. He's the one that God would have. So let's have a word of prayer. We'll get to look into this word today. Father, I pray now as we preach your word, I pray you make it clear and understandable for everyone. And Lord, I pray that if there's one without Christ today as Savior, that this might be the day that they come to him. And Lord, I pray now that as we look ahead in this message, that this will be something very personal between thy spirit and each individual under the sound of my voice. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Okay, looking again at verse 24, it says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, for they were sore afraid. Fear is one of the biggest problems and one of the biggest uh, problems that many have. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says this, The fear of man bringeth a snare. Some people fear that they will be uh, thought of in a wrong way or in a bad way. Oh man, they just won't think that I'm cool. You know, they won't think that I'm with it. And, and you know, I, I've watched it over the years, and you'll see these guys that all of a sudden they're 40-something, and they say, you know what? I better quit being cool and start being right. And with some, it's taken to the way that they got into their 40s, some into their 50s before they realize, I need to be an adult now. I need to grow up. And so they tried to be, uh, come off as they're cool to their kids or this to their kids and to the younger adults around them. And what they find out is that lifestyle led many to drugs, immorality, a degraded life, and really just much regret. And as a result, they see the outcome of all of that. And although it may not have affected their own life as far as what drugs and alcohol and so many other things do, they are now filled with regret. And let me tell you, if you're filled with regret, one of the great salves that God has made for regret is His Word and living in obedience to it. You can have the greatest salve in the world, but if you don't apply it, it doesn't do a thing. The Word of God, His Holy Ghost, working together and you in obedience to it, that's the greatest salve for any uh, regret that you have in your life. But so often peer pressure brings so many Christians to their knees 
not before God, before the world. And what a tragedy that is. So often people are caught up with, what will people think? Hey, will my friends still be my friends? I want to be liked and accepted by my peers. I want people to like me. When I was working for Sears Roebuck, uh, right after we were first married, I was working in the warehouse, and I had a few guys I had tried to witness to. Uh, I had one of them get saved. And, but there was another guy there that he always put it down. He put it down. He put everything about God and everything and told me how crazy I was. But you know what? They had a sudden problem. His wife was in the hospital, didn't look good. And he didn't go to anybody else to ask them to pray for my wife. You know what? You take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, and they'll say those things. They'll do those things. But when God allows trouble in their life, because you had that witness earlier, that may open the door for God to do something through you. Okay? I didn't do anything. God did it for that individual. But I'm saying is that I had to be in the way and let God do it in me. So again, don't worry about what people think. Don't worry what they're going to say. Uh, Don't worry about being liked or accepted. Fear is so opposite of what God gives us. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, we read this, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what God also gives. You know, I find it interesting as I read the Bible, the Apostle Paul. Now, when we think, think of the Apostle Paul, we say, boy, there was a man. Man, he went into cities. He was in, thrown in prisons. He, he was beaten. He was whipped and everything else. But many times you'll see in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul says, pray for me to have boldness. You know what? He he was a man's man, but only because he needed the power of Christ, and he had to allow that power. And when doubts came in, he said, hey, pray for me to have boldness. Think of Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. Four times uh, he hears it from God, and he hears it even from the people. Be strong and of a good courage. Now, you'd think a guy that led the children of Israel into uh, the promised land, this guy that was the chosen man to take Moses' place, you'd think that this guy was a man's man. And he has to be told several times, be strong and of a good courage. So don't get to the point where you think, I can do this. We all, as saved people, need the Lord every step of the way. I can do all things but through Christ which strengtheneth me. And we've got to get that down. Only through Christ that strengthens us can we do this. Understand that the day that you and I lived in, live in now, it's hard. But it was hard back in that day as well. I mean, when we're looking here at David, here are those soldiers. These are guys that are trained. They're in Saul's army. But what happens when that giant comes walking out? They run. There's no boldness. They run, we're told. They're not turning to God for strength. 
2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13 says, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall, not maybe, shall suffer persecution. If you're living godly, you can expect it. Now, it may not be someone's whip. It may not be someone's gun. It may not be someone's knife. But it may be more deep than that. It may be words that cut to the very heart. And you've got to decide, do I believe in eternity? Do I believe in Jesus Christ? And do I take him that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us? Those soldiers were not turning to God for strength in David's day. We live in a day of hatred. There's a hatred today of godliness. There's a hatred today of Jesus Christ's name. There are evil men. Satan will attack. They want to make it against the law when we preach against homosexuality, adultery, just different types of things like that. Look, I think we still need to be preaching against drinking. We really do. Alcohol didn't stop being a sin because the culture changed. There are too many people that have had the broken home, the broken heart as a result of alcohol. Now, we have several uh, that are in this auditorium today that they, their life is working in law enforcement. They can tell you a whole lot better than I can what alcohol does. They have to go to those places. Sometimes they have to see a dead body in a car because of alcohol. Sometimes they have to see somebody just beat up a little kid because of alcohol. Folks, it's sin, it's wrong. Well, what about social drinking? Well, just one little four-ounce drink will destroy literally millions upon millions of brain cells. I know a few people, it seems like that they've been drinking a lot. <laughs> Uh, but what I'm saying is, is that, look, it is still sin. We stopped proclaiming it because everybody thought, those silly fundamentalists. Oh, those silly Baptists. Guess what? We read in Psalms 2 that when the Lord's getting ready to come back, he shall laugh and have them all in derision. He who laughs last, laughs best. You stay true to the Lord and the reward is great when we meet our Father in heaven. And so again he says there in verse 25, And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house Free in Israel. Well, that sounds great. I mean, it's house free. There's no taxes. A lot of us say, man, I, no taxes. I'd do that. <laughs> okay. But that's what he's being told. And yet, what kind of a man will it be? What is needed? First Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, 
walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist? Well, wait a minute now. He's as a roaring lion? And he's walking about to devour? How do I resist? How do I resist? Whom resists steadfast in the faith. You make the effort to walk by the word of God no matter what Satan throws at you. When he comes in as a flood, he'll lift up a standard against him. You stay true to him. He says, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren in the world. You're not the only one that it happens to if you're living godly. Others have gone through this. Others are going through it now. You're not the only one. So take Take courage in the gospel. Take courage in the word of God. Take courage that the very Holy Ghost that lives within you can take you through whatever is there ahead of you. Israel had a man they feared. But you know what? In our own spirit, we have another to fear, and that is the devil. If you're not sure if you die today that heaven's your home, he wants you to have such a fear that when an invitation is given for you to be saved and an opportunity to be saved, he's going to throw everything up. A lot of stuff we've already said, he's going to throw it up in your mind so you won't be saved. He doesn't want you saved. He doesn't want you right. He doesn't want you to repent. He doesn't want any of that. But if you're already saved, then he wants you to be so tempted with everything of this life and tried that you no longer will be a witness. You'll no longer look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, dress like a Christian, and act as a Christian. You'll no longer be a witness. Why? Because if he can't keep you out of heaven, then at least he wants you not to take anybody else to heaven with you. Hell strikes fear in the devil's. It ought to strike fear in us for other people. Look, the, the man of Gadarene was, had a legion of devils. And, and so finally, when Jesus would have cast them out, those devils are so afraid of that place. They said, please, let us go to a herd of swine and don't put us there before the time. Satan and his cohorts fear the lake of fire. They're not going to be the ones being tormented in hell. They are tormented in hell. And if it's enough to torment super spirits, just think of us. If you're without Christ, just think of what that will be like. You see, Jesus said, don't fear him that can kill your body. And after that, there's no more that he can do, but rather fear him that can destroy both soul and body in hell. And that day is coming so soon. So you turn to Jesus Christ to know him as your Lord and Savior. There's no reason to be ashamed of him. There are Christians that will be ashamed at his appearing. Saved so as by fire. There are those that will hear, well done. Can you imagine? You see a young man and he's on the football team. And you'll say, wow, what a great guy. You know, he's on the football team. You ought to see this guy. You know, he's... He's really a good guy. Man, he runs over people. He bowls over people. And he does all these things. Man, uh, he's hard to stop. And boy, and when he hits them, they go flying. But then you find out that at home, when he sleeps, he sleeps with a teddy bear. 
I mean, this guy's 16, 17 years old, and he's still sleeping with a teddy bear. And you don't think real men sleep with teddy bears, okay? You just don't think that. And if he comes around, and you come around, and he, he sees that you find out that he sleeps with a teddy bear, he's ashamed. Please, I'll kill you if you tell anybody else in the, in, in, in the school that I sleep with a teddy bear, okay? Now, that, that, is a, that guy is ashamed of, of that. Christians will be just as ashamed and more ashamed that they would not stand for Jesus Christ. They needed the devil's teddy bears to take a stand for him. And they would not witness the gospel. In verse 26, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, which taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now think of David. What, what, what would make him say that? Or remember, he's the bottom of the totem pole. He's the one who has to stay out in the fields with those smelly sheep. And he's out there long hours with those smelly sheep. And so he has a lot of time to get on his cell phone. No, he doesn't have a cell phone. So he has a long time to be out there. And meditate on the things of God. And when he has free time, he's walking with God. But he also has a responsibility to watch those sheep. To guard them. You know, you can drive down the road. And your mind be a million miles away. Until you hit something. But on the other hand, you can be driving down the same road and your mind be there, but you're looking at everything and you know what's going on. Other words, I don't know if they call that multitasking or not, but you can drive down the road, keep your eyes on the road, and yet be speaking to God, talking to God, thinking on the scripture you read that morning. There's so much you can do that God can use. You say, well, why is that important? Well, David, in guarding the sheep, while he's meditating on the things of God, he's also watching, and he ends up killing a bear and a lion. This is a teenage boy. And this teenager kills a bear and a lion while he's guarding his sheep. And I say, how? They don't have the shotguns and the other guns that... But he kills a bear and a lion. You see, in his experience, that we wouldn't know nothing about if David doesn't at this time face a giant. We'd know nothing about that. But see, God prepared him in killing a bear and a lion to be able to say, who is this Philistine that everybody's running from? I'll tell you what, he knows that a Philistine's not going to kill with his bare hands a bear and a lion. Even if he is a giant. But he also knew by the power of God he was able to do what he did. And he tells Saul later in this chapter that God did that through him, but it was God's work. Israel 
failing because they are afraid of this man. And so what their fear is saying is that our God is powerless against him. We can't do anything about it. So what are we going to do? They're worried about it. Saul gets to the point he, he's ready to offer no taxes. You can marry my daughter, which means he gets inheritance of whatever he has. I mean, he's in there. This man needs eliminated. This man that opposes God, that opposes everything that is righteous. He must be stopped. But how? Well, understand, we're in the same situation. These were God's people. We are God's people. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, against the powers of the, uh, uh, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Those are all legions and offices of devils in Satan's army. Those are the things that we wrestle against. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against those things. Those are greater. And those greater things use men against us. They empower men, but we still have it better than they do because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When you're saved, you've got the very power of God dwelling in you. You've got the very Holy Ghost of God to indwell you. And so, here these men are running. There's only one man there, and he's a teenager. But hey, teenager, you're a teenager today. You can be righteous, and although you might be the one that's relegated to the sheep, because you're not cool, you might be the very one that delivers your home, that delivers multitudes of souls, and delivers your own family when you have a family. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we deny it, in other words, we turn from it, no more, nothing to do with that, that we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. Do not allow anything to become Lord over you. So whether it's drugs, whether it's pornography, whether it's even your little old cell phone doesn't allow you to do anything else and get involved in anything for the Lord because you're working on that uh, Snapchat, this chat, this chat, and that other chat, whatever it is. That's all you live for. And you don't get things done. And they become addictive to you. And you get inner irritated when you're told to stop. Uh, look at those video games. Well, yes, they're bad, but they don't affect me. And you know what kind of video games I'm talking about, especially younger ones. I can't stop. You get irritated because you're told to stop and do something about it. And you're so obsessed with it, and you don't know it. And you say the same thing that many drunkards have said many times, many cigarette smokers have said many times, I can stop anytime I want. Okay, why don't you stop? Why don't you say, okay, well, look. Will you dare then to stop for six months? 
Don't look at that pornography for six months. Don't, don't uh, drink for six months. Don't do this for six months. Don't do that for six months. Can you do it for six months? Guess what? You're addicted. And the deliverance, the number one deliverance from that, the only difference, that, the deliverance that will be long-lasting and forever is the deliverance that comes through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the deliverance. And so in verse 27, we read there, And the people answered him after this matter, saying, And so shall it be done to the, him that killeth uh, him. And David, as a Christian, should, thinks, Then why are you backing down? Why are you backing down from this? Let's do what God would have us to do. I mean, boy, there's a great opportunity here. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, so let's do it. You see, real men that are Christian men believe their Lord. But then we see a problem comes up. Satan says, well, man, this boy's on the terror, so I've got to do something else. Ah. Get somebody close to them. Get somebody that they look up to. Look, get somebody that respects to just come down on them hard. So in verse 28, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down here uh, that thou mightest see the battle. Now we're seeing how Satan attacks. False accusation. He embellishes the stories. We already know that David was down there because he was sent. But now here's the oldest. I mean, you look up to your big brother. You look up to your oldest brother. You always look up to that. And the one that he would look up to is now the one that is the greatest discouragement. And sometimes your discouragement comes from not the world, from family, from friends, from people in the church. But even family, friends, and people in the church is not where you draw your strength. You draw your strength in the Lord. So you keep your focus on Jesus Christ. He says, those few sheep in the wilderness. He's trying to belittle him. He's trying to shame him publicly in front of all those soldiers. So what does David do? And I'm going to use this passage as a closing passage, so to speak. So to speak means I might. In Matthew 10, 34 through 38, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household he that loveth father or brother more than me is not worthy of me and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me God is even before your family now I've heard people say God first then family then your job but they always put God second or even last when it comes to things. Well, we want to do this, so God is second. Oh, well, you know, we're going to go do this, but we'll, we'll say a prayer. Maybe we'll even read a Bible verse somewhere. We'll say, talk about God. 
and they don't do what they're supposed to do. They don't do when they're supposed to do it. What are we supposed to do? Philippians 3, 13, 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting. Forgetting those things which are past. Forget that which is past. Don't let your past bring you down. Don't let your past continually just as it raises its face in your its head in your face because the past will do that. But in Christ it's all forgiven. So let people have their fun if that's they like to bring up your past. You know it's forgiven. You know something they don't. He says, so he says, reaching forth in those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. That is a commitment. And my friend, that's also a responsibility upon yourself to press towards the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Don't let the situations of life, don't let the circumstances of life, don't let the people of the life keep you from pressing towards that mark. It's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, so you just keep on keeping on. Because you have a Savior that saved you, He will save others as well. The Bible lets us know, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's me, that's you, that's all of us. We've all sinned, we've all come short of God's glory. But are you sure, if you die today, that heaven's your home? For the wages of sin is death, final complete separation from God forever in that lake of fire. But the gift, not what we've earned, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we get that gift? But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, just like we are, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. And so, as we see, think of that, Christ died for me, doesn't mean a thing if we don't receive it. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. In a nutshell, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was buried and rose from the dead, you believe he did that for you and you're willing to turn to him as your Lord and Savior, you're willing to give him your life, you're saying, okay, Lord, cleanse me of my sin, take me from the power of those sin, take me from the penalty of that sin, but also take me into your hands for my salvation to be used of you the rest of my days. I want to give you my heart and life, and he'll save you. Him that come to me, he said, I'll no wise cast out. Oh, I hope that you'll come to him today. Let's bow our heads, please.